Welcome everyone to the Retro Chat Podcast, coming to you from Weymouth right here in Dorset. My name's Andy Evans, and for the next few minutes or so, we're going to be taking you down memory lane, going back in time to a moment or a destination of something that's happened within retro pop culture. Now, if you want to get in contact with us on social media, you can do. All you need to do is check out the links that are at the bottom. So Facebook at Retro Chat Podcast, or you can tweet us at Retro Chat Pod. Now, before we move on and we talk about today's topic, which is, of course, Star Trek Enterprise, I do just want to address one thing that you may have noticed. Since January of this year, Retro Chat has been aligned with the Ministry of Slam, and we've been a part of the MOS network. Over the last couple of weeks, I made the decision to leave the MOS network and go back on my own. This isn't in any way any uh, results of any fallout with the guys from Ministry of Slam, which I've had messages asking me if that's the case. It is purely a decision for creative freedom on my part. The ability to go and do the shows that I want to do when I want to do them without being confined to either a set time zone or a set time slot or limited to an hour or whatever that may be. I wish them well uh, in their future endeavors. Uh, But you're going to be seeing a lot more of the Retro Chat podcast going forward. So what does that mean? Well, that means that not only are you getting the normal show that we do each and every week, but you're also going to get a new show called The Squared Circle. And The Squared Circle is where we're going to be putting all of the wrestling content that we may do on the Retro Chat. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be doing weekly live episodic content for The Squared Circle. Absolutely not. What that means is, is that we might be going back in time and looking at a particular event like we've done before with Survivor Series or Backlash a few weeks ago. It also means that if I want to cover an event, for example, this weekend's AEW Double or Nothing, then I'll do a preview for it. It may be that if there's a big piece of news that's broke, like Sasha Banks and Naomi walking out of WWE, I may cover it. It's to give an extra bow to what you guys, our listeners, our viewers, have here at the Retro Chat Podcast. So once again, on my part, there is no ill feeling towards the Ministry of Slam. I wish them well and the MOS Network. But for us, right here on Retro Chat, not only are you going to get new content, which will be hopefully increasing our subscriber number here on the channel and on the podcast feed, you're going to get a new look. There are changes coming to the cosmetics at Retro Chat, a new era, if you will. So I just wanted to kick that off and say that to start. Now, back to what we were going to talk about today, which is, of course, Star Trek Enterprise. One of the most underrated shows in the Trek franchise, and also the one that many people say caused Star Trek to disappear for 18 years. In fact, yeah, it, it was the one that caused Star Trek to disappear for 18 years because it was the last show on air. We're going to be talking about the development. We're going to be talking about the casting. We're going to be talking about what would have happened in season five if it had happened. And we're also going to touch 
on uh, some information from some of the cast. So we're going to be uh, going to a video with uh, Jolene Blaylock, who plays DePaul, and also at least one interview that I conducted with um, one of the stars of Enterprise back at Destination Star Trek in 2019. And that was, of course, along with my co-host at the time, Jason Dempsey, who uh, was doing Two Men in Their Minds. Enough of me, right? Let's get into the good stuff. Let's get talking about Star Trek Enterprise. Because Enterprise debuted um, on the UPN network, and it made its debut um, on September the 26th, 2001. And for the first couple of years, it was known purely by the name Enterprise. It was created by Rick Berman and Brandon Bagger, and it aired from 2001 until May the 13th, 2005. Enterprise was the fifth series in the Star Trek franchise. It was a prequel to the original series, and it was set in the 22nd century. So it was only set, you know, a few 100 years away from now, or 100 years away from now. Enterprise was Earth's first starship, capable of traveling at warp five. And because of that, it explored the galaxy and encountered various different alien species. At this point in time, DS9 was coming to an end, and so was Voyager. And Voyager was UPN's highest rated show on the network. So obviously they didn't want to lose the cash horse. So they went and asked Braga and Berman to create a new series to continue the Trek franchise. Now they could have done the easy thing and they could have set it in the 24th century. It could have been a companion piece to DS9 and Voyager, but instead what they opted to do was take it into an earlier period. And it allowed them to explore different parts of the Trek universe. They wanted it to be more basic more relatable, more character-driven. And because of that, they took it back to the original formula of the original series, the three core characters. Back in the day, that was Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. But for Enterprise, that was going to be Jonathan Archer, played by Scott Bakula, Trip Tucker, played by Connor Trenia, and Sub-Commander T'Pol, who was Vulcan and played by Jolene Blaylock. The show broke traditional Star Trek convention in many different ways. Not only did it drop the Star Trek prefix, calling itself purely Enterprise, but it also used the pop song Faith of the Heart, which was performed by British tenor Russell Watson as its theme. I'm going to touch on that in a minute. Okay, so bear with us. The first two seasons of Enterprise were characterized by standalones that explored topics like humanity's early relationship with the Vulcans, first encounters with the Klingons and the Andorians, aliens already familiar to the franchise viewers. So because of that very clever strategy, it meant you weren't seeing anything different than what you already knew from the original series, but you were seeing them in a different context. UPN wanted to attract a wider audience, so they called for changes in the third season. It finally got renamed Star Trek Enterprise, and it was received, it was refigured to focus on action-driven plots and one single serialized storyline. And that was the crew's mission to prevent Earth from being destroyed 
by a species called the Zindi. First time, only time, and last time they've ever appeared in Star Trek. In 2005, UPN cancelled the series after its fourth season, despite a fan-led campaign to continue it. And as we said earlier on, it marked the first time in 18 years that no new Star Trek would be produced. And this hiatus on TV anyway lasted until the launch of Discovery in 2017. The Enterprise was intentionally equipped with technology that was less advanced than those seen in previous series. For example, it had no tractor beam, but it utilized grappler cables. It used missiles instead of particle weapons. In season one, phase cannons were added, similar to those on the Enterprise in the original series. It had limited means of replicating food, so it went back to having a mess hall. Communications officer Hoshi Sato's ex expertise in linguistics helped to compensate for the lack of the universal translator. The series also showed the crew making first contact with a number of races that had been previously seen in the franchise. The Klingons appeared in Broken Bow and they had the ridged makeup. Bit of a continuity problem there because we only saw that from the next generation onwards. Berman and Bragger attributed the change in the Klingons to advancements in makeup and felt that such contradictions in continuity were unavoidable. They did, however, justify eventually uh, the Klingons' appearance by att attributing it to a plague caused by genetic experimentation. The electronics that you saw in Enterprise were also more compact than those of previous, albeit future, series as advances in real-life technology made devices in the original series and Voyager seem oversized. The first season, as we said, emphasised those three main characters, Archer, T'Pol and Trip. But other main characters did have primary roles in episodes such as Dear Doctor and Fight or Flight. But it was when the second season kicked off that we saw relationships develop between various different characters. For example, the friendship between Tucker and Reed in episodes such as Two Days and Two Nights, and the relationship and subsequent romance in later seasons between Trip and T'Pol, something we hadn't really seen before. The temporal Cold War element, which was introduced in the pilot of Enterprise and carried on really until the beginning of season four, was seen by Rick Berman as being a nod to mystery. He looked to add an element of X-Files to the series. Berman decided in the writer's Bible that the full story of the war would actually be revealed over the course of several years. And at the start of the second season, Brandon Bragger said the temporal Cold War storyline would continue to be included if viewers were interested. But then he would go on as describing it as strangulating. Initially featuring in the pilot episode called Broken Bow, it featured the Sullivan being manipulated by an unknown humanoid figure from the future, nicknamed Future Guy by viewers. A moniker that was later adapted and adopted by the series writers. 
at the start of the season, Braga said that they didn't have a plan for who the character would turn out to be. But 10 years later, stated that Future Guy was actually Archer manipulating his own timeline. He and Berman, back in the original concept, previously stated that the character was intended to be a Romulan. In the third season, an escalation of the temporal Cold War was introduced the Zindi, and it dealt with the repercussions of their attack on Earth. Crewman Daniels, who was introduced in the episode Cold Front and was revealed to be from 900 years in the future, explained Archer's importance in history during a trip to the future in the episode Azati Prime. And that's where they witnessed the final battle against the, the builders of the sphere. Aliens who were also manipulating the Zindi into attacking Earth during Archer's time period. In the closing phase of the Cold War, Daniels sent the Enterprise back to the 1940s, following a temporal incursion by aliens who altered the outcome of World War II, permitting Nazi Germany to invade the US. Once Vosk, the leader of the aliens, was killed, the timeline corrected itself. Vosk's actions had turned the Cold War into an actual war raging through time, but the Enterprise killed Vosk before he could initiate the wars and all of the damage that had been done. You didn't hear anything about the Temporal Cold War after that until Discovery Season 3, where it's mentioned that after the Temporal Wars, all time travel was outlawed and all existing time travel devices were destroyed. The Guardian of Forever states in the episode Terra Firma that the various factions used him to alter his own history and to kill people. So he moved to another planet and went into hiding. We've mentioned there about the Zindi, and that's where season three, which normally with Trek series, is where they kind of pick up momentum, really came into play. Brandon Bragger and Rick Berman created the season-long Zindi arc, which began with the season two finale, The Expanse. The Expanse? The Expanse and ran throughout the third season until it was resolved in the episode called Zero Hour. It opens with an attack on Earth by a mysterious space probe that killed 7 million people in a destructive swathe stretching from Florida to Venezuela. As a result, the Enterprise is redirected to unexplored regions of space to find the Zindi and to stop a further attack on Earth. Now, although certain elements were pre-planned, including the success of the mission against the Zindi, others such as the detail of the actual enemy race were not. At the time of the initial development, Berman and Braga were uncertain if the storyline would last for a whole or just a season. It, you know, it's interesting to see um, when you are looking at things such as the Zindi and looking at the characters of Enterprise, just how unfleshed out they were um, by the producers. Enterprise seems to me to be a hybrid of a lot of ideas where nobody really knew where they were going or what they were going to do. And that's a shame. Because actually it had such possibilities to go forward 
and develop. If we look at season four of the Enterprise, the final season, it was where the birth of the Federation was hinted at during the first two parts of Shockwave, and that opened the season. Manny Cotto was made showrunner for the fourth season, and he decided, being a lifelong Trek fan, that the move of the series would be linked to that event, the birth of the Federation. Judith and Garfield Reese Stevens, who were writers on Enterprise because they were and they wrote the non-canon novel Federation. The episodes of the fourth season were intended to lay the framework for the creation of the Federation. And it was something that the cast really wanted to see more of. And Scott Bakula said, I would have loved to have been able to explore that journey to the Federation and their creation to a greater extent. And I think it would have been just more fun for the audience, just better, longer storytelling. But the final episode called These Are The Voyages really made the series hated. Why? Because they took the easy way out and brought in Will Riker and Deanna Troy, Jonathan Frakes, Marina Sirtis from The Next Generation. And it basically became a next generation episode. Let's go to um, a video now taken from uh, an interview with Jolene Blaylock, who played T'Pol. Subcommander T'Pol is basically um, the voice of reason. She is the voice of responsibility and more times than not the voice you really don't want to hear because um, Many times in our hunger or our thirst for adventure, as Captain Archer is, Scott Bakula, um, you want to get out there. You want to go do it. You want. You don't want to hear about protocol. You don't want to hear about reason or, or the way to go about things. You just want to dive in and go. Um, and and that's usually what we're battling with. I'm always the voice of reason, and um, I'm always diplomatic in my words, feline in my movements. Um, and she doesn't look down on humans as an inferior race, not at all. Um, she's cautious. She's just cautious with them because she's aware of what they are capable of, which could be some pretty big goofs, you know? So she's just kind of there to keep them in line. I grew up on the original Star Trek. I loved it. I mean, from Captain Kirk to Spock to Bones, those three, I mean, especially the relationship between Bones and Spock, it's just always, you green-blooded fool, you know? It just was amazing. But yet, between the three of them, there was always such utter loyalty, which you don't find in life. You know, you say, um, it's, it's a fortunate life if you can count your friends on one hand. Well, there were three friends, and and just with utter loyalty to each other. It's amazing. And yet, like, you know, Bones and Spock, this love-hate relationship. Getting into full costume, it's, it's, not, that, it's not that difficult. Uh, it's just shy of two hours. I don't feel the ears. I don't feel the wig. And, and, and the beautiful thing of it is I look so different 
outside of all of this, that once all of this is on, I am to Paul. And, and it's, it's extremely empowering because when you're doing character work, there you are. It comes to life right before your eyes and I have to, I'm hard pressed to find like, okay, where am I? You know? <laughs> Gene Rodenberry had a concept when he first came out with the original Star Trek. And it wasn't about the hero winning over, you know, the evil entity. It wasn't about good against evil. It was about um, relationships. I mean, just the way he casted, you know, it was ethnically. It wasn't sensibly back in the day in 1969. Um, he wanted to nurture our imaginations. He wanted, I mean, I mean, the dangers of illusion and, and, and the worlds that we hold in our, in our minds and what we can create. It wasn't just about, you know, um, you know, the good guy and the bad guy. It was, there was such a bigger picture. And that is what we're trying to follow in, in, in Enterprise, is Gene Rodenberry's original concept and idea when he birthed Star Trek. It's really cool because uh, I've never seen that before. I found it during the research for this. Um, how much Jolene Blaylock actually was a Trek fan. I think it was tremendous. And like she said, they were trying to make it back to what Gene's vision um, was for the Earth. But let's move on to casting now. And actually, let's talk about Jolene Blaylock because... Braga explained in an interview that the most difficult casting was that for the role of T'Pol. They were seeking a Kim Cattrall type. And actually, uh, Blaylock and Marjorie Monaghan were among the final three to be considered for the part, with Blaylock eventually gaining the role, despite her agents rejecting requests for her to attend auditions early in the casting process. By the time that Blaylock auditioned in the final group, the crew had seen hundreds of actresses, according to Berman. His main issue, whether this was good or bad, was to find a beautiful woman who can act and doesn't want to go into feature films. As we saw in that video, Blaylock was excited about the casting as she had been a lifelong fan, with her favourite character being Spock. Uh, I encourage you to go back and watch the episode on the centre seat, the documentary of Star Trek, because we also cover a bit more about Enterprise. And in one episode of that documentary, it talks about her casting process and the fact that she was a relative unknown. She hadn't acted before. She had an acting coach on set with her to help her get into role. And what's really fascinating, I sound like a Vulcan now, what's really fascinating when you see the journey from season one through to these are the voyages at the end of season four is how she grew, not only in the role, but as an actress. And she really became quite good by the end of the series. Not that she wasn't good at the beginning, but, you know, <laughs> there we go. So how were the other castings called? Well, the crew involved in production issued a casting call for the main roles in the season. Dominic Keating and John Billingsley made immediate impressions on the casting director and the staff. And Brandon Bragger said that they knew they were right for those roles right off the, the bat. Excuse me. Keating had previously auditioned for a role on Voyager just two years earlier, 
but Berman wanted to keep him for a future main role, saying that when he auditioned for Reed, the actor had nailed it. Although there were discussions about the accent he should be using with Keating, he suggested the North of England, which the producers <coughs> excuse me, mistook as Scottish. How can you mistake Scottish for Northern England? I don't know. In the end, they chose to go with Keating's natural voice. He also praised the casting processes involving Trenere, Park and Billingsley, calling the latter perfect for his role as Dr. Flox. Park was not required to audition, but instead was hired on the basis of a performance in the scene that she appeared in on the WB series Popular alongside Anthony Montgomery, who would also go on to be cast as the role of Travis Mayweather in Enterprise. But the longest casting process was that of Scott Bakula as Jonathan Archer. Due to extended contract negotiations that took place, which added a delay in production, he had been sought for the part by the executive producers. And although Bakula wanted to do the show, he wanted to feel that he was making a good deal and that everyone was going to work together to make it a good experience. He had signed up for a pilot for CBS called Late Bloomers before agreeing to appear on Enterprise. One of the reasons that he agreed to join the cast was that he had previously worked with Kerry McLuggage, one of the founders of UPN on Quantum Leap. Berman has now admitted that had he turned down, they didn't actually have an alternative in mind to replace him should he not accept the role. Star Trek is known for recurring actors. And one of the biggest and most popular recurring actor is that of Jeffrey Coombs, who not only played the Vorta Wayun and the Ferengi Brunt on Deep Space Nine, he also played the Andorian Shran, making his first appearance in the, in the episode The Andorian Incident. And at one point, should the series go to season five, he was going to be brought on as a main character. Vaughn Armstrong, who played Admiral Maxwell Forrest, had previously appeared in a number of roles in various tracks since his first part as a Klingon in the season one Next Gen episode, Harder Glory. By the end of the Enterprise run, he had appeared in 13 different characters in total. Randall Oglesbury, Rick Worthy and Scott McDonald also appeared in a variety of roles in the franchise before taking on recurring parts of Cindy Council members throughout season three. Throughout production on Enterprise, as there always is with this dude, there were rumours that William Shatner would be making a guest appearance. During season four, this idea was raised once again with the restart seen in the original uh, episode Mirror Mirror actually sent its victims back in time to a penal colony in the regular universe. This, in turn, would allow Shatner to reprise his role as the Mirror Universe version of Captain Kirk. Shatner pitched this to Bragger and Berman, but instead they pitched another idea back where he could play the chief of the Enterprise, who was taken to the future by Daniels and required to impersonate Kirk. After they couldn't settle on the idea, the Mirror Universe concept was reworked into the two-part episode in A Mirror Darkly. And it's going on as being one of the best two-part episodes in Trek, let alone in Enterprise, 
in track. The sets were used as the same ones that they used for the motion picture, Star Trek II, The Search of Spark, The Voyage Home, The Next Generation, and Voyager. And that was based on stages eight and nine um, on Paramount Pictures, while the bridge, the engine room, and arsenal were located on stage 18. Now, we mentioned the opening theme song at the beginning, and I think the one thing that the Federation, or so the Federation, that Star Trek is known for is orchestral themes. But Rick Berman said that he wanted the theme tune to be more contemporary than heard in previous seasons, and a little hipper. The theme was revealed to be a cover of the Rod Stewart single, Faith of the Heart, and as we said, was covered by British tenor Russell Watson. Stewart's song had originally appeared on the soundtrack to the 1998 Robin Williams film, Patch Adams. For the use in Enterprise, it was retitled to Where My Heart Will Take Me, but prompted a negative reaction from existing Star Trek fans. This included an online petition to have the song removed, and there was a protest held outside of Paramount. Executive producers Braga and Berman defended the choice with Berman saying that the fan response was actually split. While Braga said that some people found the song uplifting. The U2 song Beautiful Day had been used as a temporary track on test reels before Faith of the Heart was chosen. The two-part episode In a Mirror Darkly uses a different opening sequence, reflecting themes of war and conquest in the Mirror Universe and a much darker theme song, which actually worked really, really well. The cancellation that happened on Enterprise had been long talked about. The series was actually considered for cancellation at the end of the second season, with Paramount executives instead requesting a number of changes. That's where the Zindi storyline came in. On February the 3rd of 2005, it was announced that the Enterprise had been cancelled. The news was passed to the cast and crew during the sixth day of the production of In a Mirror Darkly. And this marked the first time in 18 years that no new Star Trek was scheduled to broadcast. And Enterprise was the first live action series of the franchise since the original to last less than seven years. Braga said at a talk to students in LA shortly after the news that after 18 straight years and 750 something episodes, the current run of Trek is over, which is a good thing. It needs a rest. He added that he was not sure how long Trek would be off air, but called it a gestation period instead of a cancellation. You know, I think from my perspective as being a lifelong Star Trek fan, I wasn't against it. I think it was the right thing at the right time to cancel Trek. But what did the cast members think? Let's head back to Destination Star Trek 2019, an interview with myself and Jason Dempsey from Two Men and Their Mics, talking to Dominic Keating. <laughs> Welcome back to Two Men here at Destination Star Trek with Dominic Keating from Enterprise. Nanu, nanu. So we, we came over to speak to you earlier on, Dominic, and you looked a little bit fragile. How are you? Yeah, a little bit fragile. <laughs> was it a good night last night? Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was a fragile night. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it? The start of the, the cast party? 
Uh, no, it was just, uh, I, well, gosh, it, I'm, a childhood friend of mine showed up. He had to be flying back from Malaga to Birmingham Airport. So he nipped in. I hadn't seen him in a while, so yeah, a couple of beers then. That's, and we went back to the bar after and a couple of beers there, you know. So one of those really terrible impromptu nights that just gets a little bit out of control and that you end up feeling sorry for for the I rest of the I didn't say week. anything. <laughs> and then you just... You can tell all that from one little hello, apparently. <laughs> and then you just had to meet Star Trek. Are we going to talk about day? Star Trek? We or, are going to yeah, talk about Star Trek. Um, obviously, Enterprise was the last series to air before Discovery. Are you, are you still shocked about how it's still revered by the Trek fans? Shocked? Yeah. No, not in the least. No? We were the best one. <laughs> Do you think it got an unfair shake? No, um, well, in, only in the sense that we only did the four years. Yeah, that was a bit uh, unfair. But, I mean, you know, it was certainly not because of the quality of the TV and the programming and the shows. Uh, I think we were... Our cast, I think, was... Well, I mean, look, I'm going to sound boastful, but I think we were one of the best cast. Um, I thought we were going to carry the mantle and do the movies. I think they thought we were going to do that too. But uh, sadly, our network in America, the United Paramount Network, was you know, falling off a cliff. Tumultuous time for them, wasn't it? It was. It was a, they didn't know who they were. You know, they, and right in the middle of their programming was this big you know, slice of white bread called Star Trek. And you know, for a long, for a while there, they were trying to be the African American channel. And, and, but then again, this big slice of white bread called Star Trek in the middle of their African American programming. And um, yeah, so then yeah, the other part of the puzzle is, uh, you know, Viacom, Paramount, CBS, UPN, all owned by Sumner Redston. Les Mumvis was the golden boy at Viacom because he'd made CBS this, you know, juggernaut of a network. And uh, he got given the task of trying to make UPN more successful. He put a lady in there called Dawn Ostros, and suddenly my boss, you know, Rick, started getting notes about his show, his fourth hit show. And I was like, lady? <laughs> <laughs> so the rot set in then, really. Politics. Uh, it was. It was. Politics. It was a uh, big, uh, you know, yeah, Hollywood politics, man. And uh, you know, there became sort of proxy war between Les and Rick via this lady at uh, UPN. And uh, unbeknownst to us, I don't know whether Rick even knew, but you know, unbeknownst to us, Les was engineering the demise of UPN and the uh, amalgamation with Warner Brothers to create the CW. And there certainly wasn't any room for us on that. Um, there were some rumours at the time that NBC were going to have us back after 45 years. And, but we didn't have those kind of network numbers. And then there was talk about maybe going to shoot it in Vancouver. But we, you know, Scott Bakula had two small children and he really didn't want to leave town. And we were an expensive show. You know, each one of those episodes cost about $3 million. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it really was just a series of events. It was, you know, the, the nails kept coming, you know, doom, 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 doom. And that was that. So there you go. Wow. I'd have to agree with you. It's personally one of my favourite series. I think it did, um, like Andy said, I think it had an unfair shake. And I think to this Well, day, I think initially, you know, yeah, look, people didn't... We got bumped in some certain sectors of the country for, you know, Friday night football, high school football in Texas. Yeah. And they'd bump Enterprise to show a bunch of kids playing who cares <laughs> do you think it hurt it not having the Star Trek name in the first couple of seasons 
I don't think so. I mean, they put it back in. Yeah. You know. I think it, came, it were really... I think they got take... Look, I'll say this much. You know, you've, they've been to the well. <laughs> yeah, you know, they had been to the well. And occasionally you've got to leave the well alone. And I guess it was a shame that, you know, if Voyager come home in a timely fashion, I'm sure we would have done more than four years. Yeah, agreed. agreed. So what have you been up to since you, you left the, the Bridge of the Enterprise? Oh, gosh. I mean, right after. I had a good run after, didn't I? I had some recurring roles on Heroes, Prison Break, uh, Sons of Anarchy. Uh, did a couple of big movies, didn't I? Beowulf. And, um, you know, a good run. Um, did some smaller, less inconsequential movies. Names of which I can't even remember now. <laughs> did a lot of voiceover work. Yeah. Um, done a lot of voice work uh, just got a couple of movies out now one in London a gangster film called Once Upon a Time in London and uh, one coming out next year which is going to get a big theatrical release in all sectors uh, they're going to have three premieres one in London one in LA and one in Amsterdam because it's half shot there uh, it's called The Host and it is a psychological horror and good. it's quite Keeping good up, yeah. look out for that it's going to get I think it's going to get uh, some attention Brilliant. So, yeah. Dominic, thank you so much for your time. Ah, pleasure, boys. Nice one. Really good speaking thank to you. you. Ciao. Thank you. So Dominic Keating there talking uh, at Destination Star Trek 2019. Um, genuinely nice guy. Really was. We, we carried on talking for a few minutes after that, uh, once he went back to signing. Um, interesting words, though, isn't it? I mean, you heard from Dominic, who was frontline and center about what led to Enterprise's cancellation. Could it, this is a what if, could it have carried on if what he said was right? If Voyager had come back earlier, could they have done the seven seasons? If the changes at Viacom hadn't have happened, would Trek, would Enterprise have lasted seven, gone to movies? Would Enterprise or Star Trek continued to have rolled out new shows? Would we have had the 18-year hiatus? Would we be where we are now with the Alex Kirkman era of star trek who knows all i know is that enterprise lasted four years did 95 episodes the majority of which were very good and it's well worth watching it now in fact streaming services such as paramount plus and netflix have really given new life to that enterprise product and it is now one of the top rated shows on netflix that's it for us this week on the retro chat podcast coming up we have got a lot of things happening um over the next few days including uh the debut of the new show which we mentioned earlier on so on sat sunday at 6 p.m we will be airing the preview for aew double or nothing part of the squared circle banner and that will be followed at seven o'clock by a legacy episode looking at the career of one of the biggest names in ecw uh and of course now the host of uh, busted open bully ray of the dudley boys it's been a good one for me i've really enjoyed this one hope you have too leave us comments down on the video if you're watching it on youtube or leave us a comment on the podcast feed please leave us a review a five star a rating and a review on apple it helps us go up those rankings and also 
don't forget to join us on social media. Retro Chat Podcast on Facebook, Retro Chat Pod on Twitter. If you're watching on YouTube, click the bell, click subscribe, click like. It makes sure that you get the first videos as they are released. Until then, I will see you next week. My name is Andy Evans. I will see you very soon. Take care for now.